Pedro, take it away. All right. How many of y'all ready for Ruth? All right. What did the monkey say when the train ran over its tail? Won't be long now. And our series won't be long now. It's only my favorite joke. If I can slip it in anywhere, I will. It just never, it just never ceases to entertain, at least me anyway. I was thinking about Ruth, and this is not in my notes, but in Deuteronomy 23, which is, by, way, by the way, my second favorite book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 20, is, is Deuteronomy. You know what my first favorite book of the Bible is? I heard it. Genesis, yeah. If you can't figure out Genesis, if you can't get Genesis down, the rest of the Word of God will just be a big question mark. But what is it? <clears throat> Deuteronomy 23 talks about the Moabite people. How many of you know where the Moabites came from, ultimately? You see, whenever Lot was delivered out of Sodom, right? He was delivered out of Sodom, and his wife had turned to a pillar of salt. His two daughters had become, as they watched Sodom be destroyed, they saw the smoke of its rising. As Sodom was completely destroyed, they had then escaped to a mountain town, to a mountainous area that was desolate. And they, thinking that the whole world had been destroyed, and in their perversion, they got their father drunk, and they had relations with him. And the first child was born was named Moab. And the second child that was born by the other daughter was named Ammon. The Moabites are descendants from that child, from that union. And the Ammonites are descendants from the second son, from Ammon. So just to give you just a little bit of backdrop, whenever I say that Naomi might have wanted to get rid of this daughter-in-law, she's coming back into town and she's got a Moabitess now as her new souvenir. It was, there was not only was Moab not considered good stock, but also Moab became a great nation. And when the children of Israel were traveling out of Egyptian bondage, they were traveling through the wilderness and they crossed into the territory of Moab. And they Ask for bread and water. But Moab wouldn't visit them with provision. Instead, they said no. They hired a man by the name of Balaam. The king of Moab, his name was Balak. He hired Balaam to curse Israel. So see, this is the whole backdrop behind this. And now, whenever they go, went back into Moab to collect these daughters-in-laws that they have, they're co Naomi's coming back with them. And the interesting thing is, is that in Deuteronomy, it says that an Israelite is never to marry a Moabite. They are not allowed in the house of the Lord up to the 10th generation. Because they didn't visit Israel with bread and water. 
and because they hired Balaam to curse Israel. Now, oddly enough, Ruth then becomes the divine reversal of the whole thing. She blesses Naomi. Boaz says that, what a blessing you are to your mother-in-law. And what does Ruth provide Naomi? Before that, bread, food. So see, do you see the reversal of the whole thing in that we are seeing here a restitution coming forth. And so what we look at here is in the, in the Leviticus 23, it says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So whenever they would harvest a field, they were not allowed to reap the edges. So they would leave portions. Nor were they allowed to pick up the grain that fell. Now, can you just imagine, how many of you have ever reaped a field by hand? Right here. How many of you have ever used a yo-yo on a field? Okay, you got more hands there. I wasn't allowed to touch it. My dad said I'd cut my leg off. I probably would have. But if you are, imagine, you cut that grain with that type of an instrument probably. And then you would gather it up and they would bind it up in sheaves. And now just imagine what reaping would be like. Some of the grain, the, the long pieces of grain would fall out. And where would they fall? They would fall into the, the stalks that are sticking up. They're dried out and they're hard and they're prickly, right? And those, so what would gleaning be like? I mean, can you, what would your hands look like after you spent the day gleaning in between? Be ripped to pieces as you were reaching in and trying to gather the grain that had fallen. And we know that Boaz told the reapers to do what? Leave her handfuls on purpose. I'd be like, could you just turn around and hand them to me? In other words, pull grain out and drop it. What did she still have to do? Bend over and pick it up. And you know, this wasn't just turned into Mrs. Baird's bread. Then she had to go thrash it. And then it had to be ground. And then it had to be baked into bread. I mean, this was a process. And so we understand that this is what, what did Ruth say? I don't know if I'd have been like Ruth. This is what Ruth said in, in the book. Ruth 2, it says, let me go, Ruth 2, 2, let me go to the field. Please let me go to the field. And then it goes on in verse 6, the latter portion, it says, the foreman replied to Boaz. She asked, please allow me to glean and gather among the barley sheaves behind the harvesters. So she came and has been working in the field since morning until now. The Bible says in Matthew 13 and 44, the kingdom of God is like a man who hid treasure in a field. That's the title of tonight's message, the treasure in the field. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of kings 
to search it out. That's Proverbs 25 and 2. Matthew 7, 14 is this. For small is the gate, and compressed is the way that leads to life. And few are those who are finding it. It's hard to find. Why is it hard to find? Why is the way hard to find? That, it seems hidden. Few are finding it because it's small and compressed. I looked up the word small and compressed in the Greek, and it literally means the small is because of obstacles, and the compressed is because of offense. Because of a, there's, a, there's always a rub. It's small because there's so many obstacles around the opening into the kingdom and because it's compressed because there's always an offense. So as we look at this, we're talking about treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. What do I mean? It's upside-down and it's inside-out. It operates counter to culture, and the natural man hates it. The kingdom, in the kingdom, life is disguised as death. He who loses his life will find it. It's hidden. It's hidden. You see, it's like a, it's like a gate that's opened up, and you're in this place, and it doesn't look like the way you would want to go because it looks offensive and it just looks too small to get through that's how the kingdom well Jesus why it looks like we'd want to widen it a little bit and take away some of the sharp edges so we could get more people in but see that's not how the kingdom of God works it's treasure hidden in a field. There's always treasure hidden in the field. But there are few people who actually want to go to the field to find it. See, life is disguised as death, and he who loses his life will find it. Rulership, listen to this, is disguised as servanthood. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Power is disguised as weakness. No wonder no one wants to come in with all these disguises. Unless you become as a little child, you can't even get in. Freedom is disguised as bondage. So, Jesus speaking here, so you too, when you have done everything that was assigned and commanded you, say, we are unworthy servants, undeserving of praise or reward, for we have not gone beyond our obligation. We have merely done what we ought to. What an upside-down kingdom. It's such a small way. It's a compressed way. There's so much offense. This is really a brilliant method if you think about it. This calls out all the fortune hunters and the charlatans. It's sort of the beauty and the beast model. Now I'm talking about something we can all get behind. 
Disney. You know, you have, you have the, what'd you say? Oh, you're right, yeah, that's it. So what you have here, you have the, the Belle, you know, the main character in Beauty of the Beast. And she is sentenced to basically a life in prison with the beast. But see, in order to break the spell, she has to fall in love with him in his present state. She doesn't know he's a beautiful prince. She, see, he's disguised. And see, that's the beauty and the beast model we have in the kingdom of God. We have to be willing to go through the small, compressed, narrow way, or we'll never even actually find the entrance in. So who's going to get in? The convinced seeker. You know, that's what the man, the man who got up in the middle of the night, and he knocked on the door of the friend who he wanted bread, and the friend said, what? What did the friend say? Go away. Go away. We're asleep. And what did the friend do? What did, the, what did his friend say? And he left, and he never went back to church because there's nothing but hypocrites there. He kept knocking. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Because here's a fact. Only a convinced seeker will knock on a door. Because you will never, ever, 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 ever knock on a door that you don't believe has the answers. And you'll never get down small enough or low enough to get into the kingdom of God if you don't believe that there's treasure hidden in that field. It's disguise. The great disguise. A convinced seeker. One who cannot be offended will find their way in. Oh, I would love to have people who couldn't be offended. Jesus, ones who will lean past, why give the children's bread to dogs? Jesus knew how to win friends and influence people, didn't he? I mean, how many? The Syrophoenician woman came to Jesus. Oh, I know, you can find a million sermons that say he wasn't really calling her a dog. He said... He said, she said, Lord, meet my need. He said, not today. Lord, meet my need. Not today. Lord, meet my need. He said, I didn't come. I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Lord, meet my need. It's not right to give the children's bread to the little dogs. At that point... How many of us would have stomped out mad? Just, I'm it's hidden. I wonder how many miracles, how many possibilities, how many kingdom opportunities we've passed by because they were so disguised by the field. Who else? Who else will be these people who find it? True faith will continue to knock on the door of injustice until the reward comes. That's the, the widow. She was knocking on the unjust judge's door. And she knocked on injustice, and she knocked on injustice, and she knocked on injustice, and she just kept on. How many of us give up at the first little time somebody steps on our toes? I would love 
to have people in the house of God, in the kingdom of God, who couldn't be offended. I can knock doors in this community. Knock on them. I used to go to, I'd hear the same story. I could just pull a string in their back. You know, somebody made me mad. The preachers are full of hypocrites, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know the stories, right? I'm not saying that they don't have legitimate claims. I just don't care. Is it worth going to hell over? What's the point of a little offense? If you can't stand up under the slightest little load of offense, you're never going to make it. That's the calling out process. God's looking for somebody who's willing to go to the field. And many, 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 many people have been winnowed by the work. I'm quitting. Let me finish with this. Leaving Moab was step one, right? Say leaving. Cleaving to promise was step two. Say cleaving. But receiving is step three. And that only happens in the field. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field. And glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And it happened, it came to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was a family member of Elimelech. As we look here at the book of Ruth, it's such a beautiful portrait of redemption. It's such a beautiful portrait of the Israel and the church. Now, what we see in chapter 1 is there is, a, there is a loss. There's tragedy. There's a loss of a husband, a loss of a father. There was a loss of land. But then we see the, in chapter 4, there's a restoration. Now we have a husband. Now we have a son. Now we have the land restored. But how did we get from chapter 1 to chapter 4? We have to go through chapter 2 and 3. And in chapter 2 is where we've been, we've we got to camp there. We've got to talk about it a little bit. We've got to understand the field. We've got to understand that we can't forfeit the destiny that God has in store for us for any reason. We've got to get to that chapter 4 because that's where the redemption comes in. That's where the future comes in. That's where the line of the tribe of Judah steps in. That's where we need to begin to park ourselves, not at the beginning of where we start, but where we are ultimately going to end. Up. Now we see here that this is a beautiful portrait as we'll talk about more as we get further into this study. I won't take the time tonight, but I, I just want to touch on it, just kind of seed you with the, with the knowledge and the understanding that Ruth is a book that overlays Israel and the church and brings to the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. As Boaz is the, is the character of the Redeemer, Naomi is the character that represents uh, Israel. But what does she do? She brings, uh, she brings, Israel brings Ruth, the nation that is outside of the covenant people. The Gentile brings her to the Redeemer. Understand this, we do not as the church replace Israel. We are the continuation of Israel. If we get our, begin to understand that God's desire is we've been grafted in, God wants all nations to be brought to him. 
But what we see here in this passage, in this beautiful portrait, this story of redemption, of, of starting with tragedy, and how that Naomi, as representing Israel, has gone away, but now she has come back. And now we have the nations. Uh, uh, we have Ruth, who represents the Gentile nations, uh, and she comes back. But we're going to get to redemption, but we got to go to the field. we got to go to the field. That field is the field of service. I know we live in a cultural norms that, that commitment is an issue. Committing ourselves to something and, and, and selling out to it is, is not a normal cultural reality that we live in anymore. We're not living in that state anymore, but it doesn't negate the fact that we've got to be a people that, that understand that when we are in covenant, it is all in, all the way to the end. And... I want to encourage you as we talk about the field and, oh, if we could just capture the hearts and the minds of the people of God and just let them understand that the field is not something that we shun. It's what we want to run to because that's where we will find the redemptive work beginning to, to, to begin to unfold as God takes your story, makes it his story, and then all of a sudden comes his glory. But we got to have some things when we step into the field of service. Now, when Naomi, when, when Ruth went to Naomi, she said, please let me go to the field. Let me step out into the field of service. Let me go out there in the heat of the day. Let me reach my hand through the prickly stalks and, and just pick up the crumbs that are left there. Not knowing that the Redeemer, the owner of the field, was going to leave let some she's fall off the wagon on purpose. Don't pick them up. Just stock. Just leave them there so she can find them. See, she still had to pick them up. She still had to reach through. She still had to gather up. She still had to go out in the heat of the day. You know, the heat of the day will deter a lot of people from staying in the field. Any watermelon haulers? Anybody haul watermelons? I'm looking. Yeah, I, I got one watermelon hauler. I got two. Two, give me three. Three, give me four. I eat them. <laughs> me too. Me too. Me too. Haul them from the grocery store. Okay, you're killing my story. I don't, I don't recall me killing your stories that I've heard over and over. Let's move on. You, if, if I fully blocked her, okay. Eyes over here. Eyes over here. So, she steps into the... She steps into the, the field that day. What about them? See, I've got one. It doesn't matter. As a teenager, I worked in fruit farms because that was, where, that was the, the, where we could go to find, you know, that $3 an hour job that we desperately needed. And so summertime, we would spend picking fruit, produce. Well, the funny thing was is that we had a whole different crew every day when we went out to pick watermelons. Because we would pick watermelons, and before it even was noon, half of our crowd was gone and was left to two or three. This happened day after day after day. Because the guys, when it, when it came to work, it was like, I don't want to do this because it's hot. I'm tired. I don't want to bend over. I want to pick nothing up. And the boss got tired of them dropping watermelons and eating the hearts out of them and just leaving it. So he's like, I can't take this waste anymore. But he didn't have to call them out. They would just leave on their own. How funny. 
the field winnows the work. Winnows the ones that should be out there. But see, with any field you step into, in a field of service, what, what are we in right now? We're in a field of service. You've got to step into that field with hope. You've got to sow with, there's hope tonight that the God will touch you and take the information that is being poured out tonight and turn it into revelation that will cause transformation in your life. When, you, when we lined up cars out here to, to pass out groceries, it was our hope that the love of Jesus Christ would be felt in every car that passed through. Bibles and burgers on Saturday, you're stepping into a field, and in that field it's your hope that somebody's going to show up, that somebody's going to hear the word, that somebody is going to receive the love of the Lord Jesus. At the diaper bank distribution last night, there is hope that somebody will sense the love of God. Every field you walk into, folks, you got to walk in with hope. Ruth got up and said, please let me go to the field because there's hope. When you serve, you got to serve in hope and do not listen to the voices that continually tell you that your work is of no use and your contribution is not going to amount to anything. What is the enemy after? He's after your hope. He's after your hope. You know, you serve by showing up. You serve by sitting here. You tonight are sitting out here. You're an encouragement to somebody else in the room. Because I can look around and you're serving your brother and sister by being here. How many times have you been, the voices have tried to convince you, you just need to stay home. Wednesday, Sundays, prayer meeting, it doesn't matter. Just stay home. So when you step in, you got to have this hope when you go into the field. See, I'm preparing you for the field. First off, you got to want to go to the field. <laughs> oh, because the desire's got to be there. But when you step into that field, see, destinies lay dormant in the field of service. Let me say it again. Destinies lay dormant in the field of service but they are awakened through participation when you start participating you'll start discovering so you can't find what God wants you're only going to find the treasure unless you get in the field why because it's hidden there's a hidden treasure that's out there you're not going to know where to mine if you don't know if you're always minding where you go you know what I'm saying you got to get out there. See, many a destiny has been forfeited because the absence of hope, but also the absence of faith, because fear has overtaken. There's a lot of people today in the church, in Christendom, that are not fulfilling the call of God because of fear. Ruth had to face her fear. What was her fear? She had to face the fear of rejection. I just wonder how many destinies have been forfeited in this house alone, in this congregation right now, because you have a fear of rejection. They're not going to receive me. They're not going to receive what I have to say. They're not going to receive me because they know my past. They're not going to receive me. They're going to reject me. But see, it wasn't just the fear of rejection that she was facing. She was a single woman, no defense. She was subject to 
to being violated in the field. But when she went in the field of the Redeemer, he said, I've already instructed my young men, and they will listen to me. They are not to touch you. Why did he instruct them to say that? Because he is there offering protection for in that field. So her fears that she had, see, she walked out there. She left the door in hope. She walked into the field, and it wasn't until she got into the field that she discovered that, wait a minute, I'm not rejected. I have been given a place, and I am walking in this field, and I am protected by the Redeemer. Folks, let me say to you, greater is he that is in you. The Redeemer lives in you, child of God, and greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world and I believe that it is time that God awakens the destinies in this house that we stop forfeiting the call of God Amen. my greatest fear was public speaking my single greatest fear was public speaking I was phobic about it who knew but God Amen. found it in the field I found it because every time I got out there, it wasn't that fear was not trying to manipulate. It wasn't that fear wasn't trying to talk me out of it. It wasn't that it was not playing upon my weaknesses uh, and my insecurities. Uh, I just decided uh, that, hey, the will of God was greater than my fear. That if he doesn't help me, it's not going to get done anyway. So every time I wanted to sit down, he kept getting up and kept stepping in and walking into the field. If you will just keep making yourself available, God will keep getting up on the inside of you. And that fear will turn to faith as you take confidence in God. But I want you to note, and folks, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me tonight. Where did, where did Ruth start out? She walked behind the reapers. She walked behind the reapers because, number one, she's poor. And number two, she's a foreigner. She begged to go to the field. Please let me go to this field. Please let me out there and let me serve. And when she got out there, she took a position of humility. She didn't go straight up to the Straight to the top. Hey, I've seen the end of the road. I'm going to be the, mas the mistress of this entire land. This is where the, all this is in because this is what I have faith for. Would you please get out of the way and start handing me? I need you to fill my basket up because I've got a hungry woman at home I'm going to go take care of. No, she, she stepped into that field in humility. And if I would encourage the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today, if I would encourage crossroads, if you genuinely want to see an outpouring of the Spirit of God that the Lord will reach beyond measures, that the river of God would flow from this house into this community and reach those that are unreachable and teach those that are unteachable and cause the glory of God to rest in here like never before, then folks, let's never take a position higher than humility. Everything we do needs to be because we are serving. We're serving the Lord and we're serving others. Ministry is not here to validate me. Ministry is not here to elevate me. 
ministries here to in order to touch your heart and to show that God loves you and that you find your place in a relationship with the Redeemer. This is what I have observed in my limited years in the ministry. I have observed great outpourings of the Spirit of God in measures. And in that measure, the playground of the enemy is always pride. He'll settle into high places uh, and start to convince you that you know more th than what you do about the reality of a spiritual awareness in the house. Are you hearing me? Let's always keep ourselves in a humble heart and be teachable and guidable by the Holy Spirit. Because I believe you want what I want and what the Father wants. Is the Spirit of God moving. And the Lord has no problem being the Lord. And he has no problem correcting and guiding his children. Amen? The other thing that I see about Ruth, I'm going to let you close. The other thing I see about Ruth is this. She had endurance. She had endurance. She was there in the ups and she was there in the downs. Barley to wheat. Who likes to work out? I like the results. There's one person. Who, who works out but you really don't like it? How many mornings that you get up and, and, and you're like, I don't, want to, I don't want to walk that walk. I don't want to run that run. I just don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the field. I have a strict rule about bending over because I had picked so many peas and tomatoes and, and every kind of thing that could be picked, I picked it. And I hate to bend over. If I don't really need it, I just leave it there. And if I'm going to bend over to pick it up, I'm going to see if there's anything else I need while I'm down there. And if I have a job that requires bending over, I'm usually laying down. She'll come in. She's like, why are you laying down? I said, because I ain't bending over. I've been in the field, and I don't like to bend over. You know, oh, I'm doing it for you tonight. You know, that first day's not so bad. That second day's going to get you. By that third day, you're like, oh, my. I'm too young to be feeling this old. I get tired of her asking me when I get up in the morning, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm just waking myself up. Leave me alone. I'll get moving straight in a minute. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness? But see, if you're going to get the results, you've got to have endurance. She stayed there at the beginning of the barley harvest all the way through the wheat harvest. She was out there. She was out there. She was in the field. That's not what we want to hear today. But see, it's in that process of tragedy. It's in that process of loss to that place of redemption, restoration, that she wouldn't have gotten there without going to the field and serving and serving we left the mission field before I believe that we should have left the mission field we were serving in a country 
and we left prematurely. I do believe we would always have ended up here because God spoke to us several years ago. But I was so disappointed with myself because I left too soon. I was so hurt and bitter. I was, I was bitter. So I'd go to the Lord and I'd ask him, what do you want me to do? He spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard him. He said, son, the healing will come in the doing. Get to work. Get to work. So I went back to the field of service. It wasn't my preferred field of service. It was a small town and a small church and a small area and before we came here. But in so doing, God brought healing. God brought redemption, salvation, restoration. And as we established, we've, we got the church where God wanted us to take it and pass it on to a person who flourished greatly there. But see, the healing comes in the doing, so I'm not sharing something with you that I haven't walked through myself. The healing came in the doing. If you stay at home and you still sit there, is it okay? I'm just going to keep going here. If you stay seated in your hurt and in your shame, if you just stay there, I assure you we'll never get better. But I promise you it will get worse. But if you want to get to redemption, you got to get into the field of service. Close this out there. What all was hidden in the field? You named them all. Name them again. What all was hidden in the field? No. Humility. Humility. Endurance. Endurance. Faith. Hope. All the things that were in the field. Ruth would have never experienced the redemption that God had in store for her and for Naomi if she had not gone to the field. The redeemers, that's where she met him, was in the field. So much of our culture has turned us against the idea of suffering, being inconvenienced, suffering in any degree, even... I mean, now we have words called, their offenses are called microaggressions. I mean, can we not get over anything? Have we, have, are we so sensitive that there's nothing that we can endure? A sad thing happened in the church culture, and it started in 1995. It began as a movement, as an idea, a philosophy. It was called, you've probably heard of it, a seeker-sensitive movement. The seeker-sensitive movement invaded American culture with its easy-peasy, non-combative, there's room at the cross, no, no, no cross, there's room at the coffee bar for you. We're making disciples turned into customer acquisition, and churches turned into hubs to gather around common interests. Sadly, transformed lives became few and egos became big. 
Celebrity status surrounded the most successful ministers and the field labor was rebranded to be less like work and more like personality worship. No blisters were raised and character flaws were retained. You see, you can get rid of a lot of character flaws by raising a few blisters. You know what I'm talking about? There's something about opposition in work and struggling through something that deals with your own character issues. And believe me, you may not know this, but you probably still have a few. And it's not the feather dusters that knock them off. It's the iron that sharpens iron. And too many people run from the iron at the first clash. You just need to sit and Can I just say it? You just need to sit down and shut up and keep serving until you get over it. I'm telling you, more wins would come with just that little model than any of this so-called mamsy-pamsy, milk-toast, whiny-snot-nose bunch of babies we call Christians nowadays. Suck it up. No blisters were raised and character flaws were retained. I better stick to my script. Churches were packed with great performances put on by paid performers. And bam, a new brand of worshipers were born. We are now reaping the rewards of this trend. But don't despair, church. The field is still waiting for those who care to serve for the glory of the master and the good of one another. Hypocrites will always be in the church. Remember, it was the enemy that sowed the tares. And they're going to be allowed to grow up right beside the wheat so as not to harm the harvest. We cannot lose sight of the treasure of service that's still buried in the field. The treasure is still in the field of promise. But wouldn't it be nice if we would lose the, the first mile marker trying to claim our rights at the first mile marker? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about here. And we would just go on in to the second mile of freedom. What do I mean there? If, you're, if, if someone compels you to go one mile, Go too. You see, in the, in the Roman provinces, a Roman could come along and you could be a Hebrew and I can be a Roman. And I'm carrying a load. And I can say, here, Hebrew, carry my load. And you have to carry it to the next mile marker by law. You're a subjugated people. How many think that's fair? No, you don't think it's fair. But sometimes things just aren't fair, are they? And so when Jesus came, that's the culture he broke into. Having to carry somebody else's load to the next mile marker before you can drop it. And they wanted Jesus to break this subjugation off of them, to make things fair. He said, I got a better idea. When they compel you to go one mile, yeah, yeah, go two. 
did you do that? Let me show you how it works. You pick up it. That first mile, you're a servant. You're a slave. You're oppressed. You're subjugated. You're in bondage. You're just doing it because you have to. But that next mile, you're free. <laughs> I'll carry it one more mile because now I'm free. Now I'm doing it because I want to. Now I'm doing it because I get to. You see, if we would stop arguing about the one-mile rights and we would just take it to the two-mile freedom, we would find the uncrowded space in the field that nobody wants that kind of treasure, but it's there just for the taking for those who don't mind having their face a little sweaty, raising a few blisters, and going to it day in and day out and not stopping to walk by those who want to whine, say, get up and come on. Get off the cross. Somebody needs the wood. You know what I'm talking about? Don't worry about the mule. Just load the wagon. This is, you know why I married him? Not because he's gray-headed and has such a beautiful beard and hair. That didn't come for many years later. I had to do a lot of investing to get to that. I mean, I just walk around. It's cold in his shadow. Everybody comes up to him all the time. You're so beautiful. You look like a model. I'm like, gosh. That's not why I married him. That was just a fringe benefit. You know why I married him? Because, because he worked in that watermelon field. And I knew, I mean, I'm not a, I was born at night, just not last night. I knew there was one thing I had on my husband to-do list, and I'm just going to put it out there just as straight as I can. There is nothing worse in my book than a man who won't work. I want him to go to work. You get up and you go to work. You get up and you go to work. That's all I need to know. We can work on everything else, but if you'll get up and go to work, I can work with that. That's just all I'm looking for in the house of God. Somebody who will get up and go to work. Get up and go to work. Just get up and go to work. That's the field. Go ahead. Well, the secret is out. <laughs> I have received revelation tonight. It's <laughs> it was the watermelon field. Hey, that watermelon field... Got me my wife. Uh -huh. It also got me the first job that I had after I got out of college because they said, if you can work in that watermelon field, we can put you to work over here in this technical area. Funny how that works, isn't it? How work will actually work if you work it. Amen? Do you want the destiny God has destined you for? Do what you can with what you have. Grow where you're planted. Your abilities need responsibilities to understand the possibilities. Theodore Roosevelt. Don't look for promotion. Don't look for preeminence. 
Just look for a need and start filling it. And you'll begin to see, if you'll be faithful in that which is little, God will begin to make you ruler over much. I believe the greatest accolade that can describe a child of God is a servant's heart. Because we are not greater than our master. And he was the greatest of all. He washed the feet of his disciples. He washed our feet. He did all of that. It's time you stop forfeiting your destiny because of fear, hopelessness, and endurance. I'm closing with this. A friend of mine talking about blisters runs a drug and alcohol recovery program in Arkansas. His name is Richard Jennings. Beautiful story. Worked with Teen Challenge, started his own program. His program consists of 50 hours of hard labor and at a sawmill. And then they do their teaching at night. They're in service every time the doors are open. So I said, Gary, what is it about hard work? He said, these guys have only known how to manipulate. They've only known how to... Uh, use their resources to get other resources through manipulation and he said what what cures them more than anything is just a hard day's work he's thinking learn to work hard they can get over a whole lot of stuff break it off of them it doesn't sound very appealing it's hidden but if you'll just keep reaching into that field, put your work boots on every day and just get up and get out there in the kingdom of God. Keep teaching, keep preaching, keep doing what you're doing, keep praying, keep serving, keep showing up. You're going to discover the treasures in that field and it's going to equate into redemption. Amen? The healing's in the doing. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for, this, for your touch tonight. I want to just pray that you will energize the heart of your children, Lord God. Lord, there's so many destinies that are laying dormant that can be awakened, God, by participation, by just stepping into that area of service, Lord God. And Lord, we understand, Father, that it's got to be coupled with character. Ruth had character, Lord God. Lord, we believe that, Lord God, in the doing, Lord, the healing's going to come. And in the doing, Lord God, that there's going to be some endurance and hope and faith. Fear is going to be squelched, Lord God, as we just keep putting one foot in front of the other. I ask, Lord, that tonight, Lord, that you would guard, guide, and protect as we walk in humility, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that you will protect the harvest, move by the power of your Spirit, and, Lord, let not fear dictate, Lord, what we will do. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Tonight, our mission's offering, Mike and Anita James, they are ministers in Wales. But i got to tell you, <laughs> there may be one or two of you out here that hadn't heard Mike and Anita's story. They were living in Dallas, credentialed ministers, 
Well, I don't think they were credentialed. I think they were just going to church. Mike goes to his pastor, and he said, is there anything you need? He said, yeah, I need a children's pastor. He said, I, I don't know anything about kids. I don't, I don't know if I like kids. I've never worked with kids. He said, I did not want to do it. He said, Mike, you asked me what I needed. That's what I need. So he said, okay, I'll go do it. Only to discover that his calling was children's ministry. Either that or God put children's ministry in him because he got in there and he found it hidden. He became one of the most dynamic, sought-after children's evangelists in our, in our movement. Uh, I've had him hold a couple of kids' crusade for me when he comes in on itineration. I'm like, if you want me to keep giving to you monthly, I need a kids' crusade. <clears throat> no pressure. So he, he served as a children's pastor and then went to the Netherlands and began to work in children's ministry. And now he's in the country of Wales with Anita, who is so extremely gifted herself. So they're in ministry there in Wales, and they are, they are doing a ministry on a national level there in the country of Wales. And it all started by him just going to his pastor and said, Hey, what do you need? What do you need? Well, I need a children's pastor. Only to discover there was a call that was awakened that had been dormant in his life that he didn't even know existed. And now... He's ministering throughout the world. Praise God. Good story. Amen. So when we give to missions, we're giving, and we want to pray for Mike and Anita as they've taken on this new assignment, as they've gone over to Wales. Let's pray for them and the children in ministry, those that they are ministering to. Would you stand as we get ready to, to pray over missionaries? And yes, we want to close tonight and pray over the, we want to pray peace in Israel tonight as well. Father, we love you. God, we thank you. You got time for one more story. I know I have two fingers. Just one more story. So we're praying for children. The saddest thing that I saw in Jerusalem, I got a picture of it. There's a passenger van that pulls up, and it's got metal bars welded on the windshield and all the way around the, the van. There's dents in the top of it. It looked like somebody took a boulder and just dropped it on the top of it. Just dings and bangs all over this, all over this car. And our guide tells us, he said, yeah, that is a school bus for Israeli children and that gets attacked by others when they put their kids on that bus. If you go into the Jerusalem, those of you been there, you've been to Jerusalem, you'll see flags of Israel set in different areas. Knowing that they're going to face persecution by the Muslim community. But they do it to declare, this is my plot of ground and I'm going to stick right here. They have playgrounds on top of the roofs that are, that are bob-wired in and fenced around so their kids can go out and play in elevated places. That's not a sinker-sensitive type environment. 
That is, I have put my stake in the ground. This is my land of promise, and I will stand here until uh, the Lord comes. Now, my God, we ought to have some little bit more tenaciousness in our spirit, a little more gumption and grit in these days to say, you're not walking me back. I will not let go of the kingdom of God. It's going to take that kind of determination to make it in this last day church. Father, we ask, Lord God, that, Lord, that there would be such a holy tenaciousness, Lord God, that will be poured out, Lord, in this house as we walk in humility, Lord God, as we do walk, God, in faith, Father, as we walk in hope, and, Lord, we walk in endurance, Lord God, and with the determination that we will not back up, back away, be still, but, Lord, we will stake our ground, and we will say, no, we're not giving up any more territory of the kingdom of God. In fact, we're going to start taking territory for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries that are out there, Lord, raising the next generation, Lord. I pray, Father God, that there would be a revival in Wales. Lord, you've done it before. I pray, God, that it will begin there in the children and sweep through that land. And Father, we ask, Almighty God, that we would receive on this side of the shores that you will start a revival, Lord, among our children, Lord God. Even now, a revival of knowing who their God is and walking, Father God, with the holy tenaciousness, Lord. And Father, we love you and we praise you. Bless the gift and the giver tonight. Let it go to your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your, for your love. Ushers are at the back to receive our missions offering. God bless. We'll see you Saturday. Prayer meeting at 830. We've got uh, noon to three. Bibles and burgers.